Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Joseph Fink. Joseph is one of the creative minds behind the Welcome to Nightville podcast, as well as Alice Isn't Dead and a host of other podcasts over at Nightville Presents. Uh, it was really interesting having the opportunity to sit down with him and discuss Bloodborne, uh, one of his favorite games, and uh, kind of get into the details of that, especially in the context of his other shows and the other Souls games in the series that he has tried. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. into it with Bloodborne um, I, I had no interest in Dark Souls I'm uh, kind of a few different reasons one is um, I'm not super into very very difficult games I'll play them occasionally uh, right now for instance I'm playing Celeste um, which is a similarly pretty difficult game um, but like a, a difficult game has to be perfectly made to be worth playing you know mm-hmm. um, and there's just not that many that are Um, So I I generally avoid them. And I also um, personally don't have a lot of interest in fantasy settings. Um, I kind of OD'd on fantasy as like a a middle schooler. I read nothing but big like swords and sorceries, D&D type fantasy books. And then ever since I just the moment like dragons and elves and things like that become involved, I just (laughs) I can't retain interest. I lose I just have trouble focusing on that. Um, so I just had no interest in Dark Souls. But Bloodborne, you know, uh, this may not be a surprise for people who know my work, but I'm just super interested in that kind of, like, gothic horror storytelling. It seemed that the atmosphere and, and storytelling of it seemed really cool to me. Um, and just the concept of it. Uh, it was actually one of the reasons I wanted a PS4 uh, was to be able to play. I think it was the first PS4 game I played. Um, as soon as I had one, I started Bloodborne. Um, and so I just, I had no experience with how those games worked. I had never, um, played any of the, the Souls games. Um, and I was just blown away by how good Bloodborne was. Um, and then since I've, I've only played uh, that in Dark Souls 3, so I'm not like the most extensive, uh, background on that. What was it, uh, like what kind of video games were you playing up to that, um, before Bloodborne? Just like to, cause that's, there's a, there's a huge learning curve when it comes to the Souls games, it seems like for a lot of people with, uh, just the way that the games control, the kind of, you know, cautious attitudes you have to take when you're approaching combat and tactical situations. Like, did you have a problem with that or were you kind of just, did you just drop right into it? Uh, I mean, I think, uh, you'd have to be extremely talented not to have a problem with that right right off the bat like there's definitely a learning curve in how difficult that game is and also just some of the idiosyncratic idiosyncrasies i can't make that my mouth make that word of of how souls games works things like um it took me a long time to realize that i didn't need to um i didn't need to make it to uh, a, a save point in order to save my game because I really had this thing of like, I want to stop playing, but I'm nowhere near a safe point. What do I do? Um, and uh, it took me a while. And also just the circular nature that it's not moving forward from safe point to safe point, but constantly circular, circling back. And also just the idea that you could, um, you know, at any point really run past almost anything. Uh, just a lot of stuff like that it works very different. You know, I'm used to, I was used to games where uh, you move through a level and things move in a linear fashion and then you get to the end and you can save and 
quit and not this thing where you're kind of constantly circling back and doing a lot of sprinting to survive i'd um i'd be interested uh i usually kind of save this question for later but uh are you you planning on picking up the dark souls one remaster when it comes for ps4 in a couple of months uh not ps4 i'm actually super excited to get it on switch on the switch um, yeah sort of uh i i i uh i travel all the time i i spend a lot of time traveling so um the the switch is sort of a miracle for me the idea that because it's always been a thing of i i mostly play like ps4 at home and so i would have to be like well i have to put this game on hold for four months because i won't be home uh for that that amount of time um and so the the miracle of the switch is that the game i'm playing at home can just come with me so uh yeah i've kind of from the moment the switch came out i've wanted to have a dark souls game on on the switch i'm excited for that the the reason I'm asking is because that circular circular level design that you were talking about that's you know Dark Souls one is kind of famously known for that like all of the other games uh, including Bloodborne like are kind of that way like you could see them sort of doing it but especially the first half of Dark Souls one like that I think that's the reason that game got so popular is because you'll you know turn a corner and like oh I'm back here and this is the front of the game and I didn't even I felt like I was moving in a straight line it turns out I was moving in this weird circle so. I would be curious to hear your opinion on that after after playing Bloodborne and Dark Souls Three, which kind of has a combination of that linear and circular level design. Yeah, I'll be. I mean, I will say uh, I did not like Dark Souls Three nearly as much as I liked Bloodborne, and I I I think I just prefer. I felt Bloodborne was a way more interesting system. Um, just uh, both, I, I found it a more interesting world for the reasons I've talked about. It's way more up my alley than mm-hmm. the kind of dark fantasy thing. Um, but I also just found kind of the the streamlined uh, system and the the speed that Bloodborne encouraged was way more interesting than kind of the the slow, very complicated thing Dark Souls was doing. Then I take it back. You may not like Dark Souls one because <laughs> it's it, it's a very it's a very it's you know it's not um, it's not. I wouldn't call it slow, but it is, it is compared to Bloodborne, you would you would consider it slow. I think like it's definitely more of a like a dungeon crawler than a, you're just, you know sliding around something and, and killing this weird, crazy looking creature that you've never seen before. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm curious. Like you you talk about the the kind of aesthetics of Bloodborne, obviously leaning in your favor. Uh, did you how much of the story stuff did you pull out? Were you were you able to kind of glean a lot of the the story stuff that it was doing because um there's this whole cottage industry around souls games with people basically explaining what the what they are and what the story is to you know via youtube or, or what have you so yeah i mean i've i've watched some of those and read some of those and it, it is interesting how you know it it does seem to be that's what the the makers were going for like there does seem to be a consistent story there um but it doesn't yeah i found the storytelling actually really really exciting um I'm a big story person um, in games. Like, I really, I will take a game with mediocre gameplay but an amazing story every day over um, one with really good gameplay but a story I hate. Mm -hmm. Um, I just find the storytelling part the most interesting. And uh, I found the storytelling of Bloodborne really exciting, the way that it, it told a consistent, coherent story and built out a consistent, coherent world, but in this very oblique way where you really had to pay attention to everything around you in order to understand what was going on. There was never a point where anything was explained. You just kind of had to slowly piece together what was happening from fragments of things people said, or even just the way people were dressed. Um, There was not an element of that that wasn't at some way telling a story. Um, And I found that, yeah, I, I, I think... 
games like Bloodborne and Dark Souls get um, get a lot of interest because of their difficulty and their design, and I do think those are interesting things. But I also think that um, what makes them really memorable is their storytelling, the way that they they kind of keep circling around a story without ever coming out and saying what's going on. Yeah, it's 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 sort of fascinating, like reading this. Because it sort of presents you with this world, and it's almost like here's the this entire history of the world, but with pages torn out of this book, and you have to piece all that stuff together yourself. And nothing is what it seems. Like the game, games can actively lie to you in a, in a lot of cases, which is, um, I think for video games, kind of subversive. Like you know, you see some of that stuff in like older adventure games, but a lot of the like modern AAA games over the last decade or so are are very clearly hey, you're the player and we want you to have as much fun as possible for your $60 that you have just given us. So here are you know bright, shiny checkpoints to go to every single th- possible thing in our game. And uh, Bloodborne specifically, but the Souls games as well, has this thing where it's just like, we don't really care about the player. Like We, we want you to experience the game, but you get through it your own, on your own. And you know the more work you put into it, the more you'll find, which I f- found kind of fascinating, not only from a gameplay standpoint, perspective but just from writing a story like putting that narrative together and then chopping up into bits and then putting it in this game kind of fascinates me i'd be i'd love to find out like how these dudes write this right like i just i'm just so fascinated do they come up with all the item descriptions first or do they write the story and then pull out the item descriptions i've always been kind of curious about that i mean i would suspect that they come up with a story and then again i'm not sure they're concerned about telling the story like i think they their method is probably they just make sure that everything they do fits the story they've come up with, with the assumption that if you do that with enough things, people will be able to piece together that story. Um, it is an interesting thing. Like, I, I do think they're, I guess I would disagree a little bit. I do think these games take care of you. And I do think these games actually care a lot about the player. Um, I think they just do it in a different way. Um, you know, like a game that really, yeah, has checkpoints and is constantly telling you what to do. In in one sense, it it's superficially caring about the player, but I also think that it kind of comes across as condescending, and it feels like they don't really trust you. Um, whereas, I feel like with a game like Bloodborne or Dark Souls, um, because there's never a moment where you don't feel like they haven't thought through the room you're in. You know, when you when you step into when you decide to do something, and then the game punishes you for it in some way you didn't see coming in one sense yeah they punished you by killing you but in another sense you feel taken care of because they thought through how you were going to handle that situation they thought through the choice you made and gave you a consequence for that choice um so to me i i actually i think through those games feel very taken care of i feel i feel like they are constantly giving me something to do and thinking through how i might react to those things but without the condescension of condescension of you know here's where to go next or here's 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 this map or this checkpoint on the map yeah and maybe that would be more frustrating but you know i'm i'm a person that uses guides all the time because i just i don't have the patience to find every hidden area on my own actually not even the patience i don't have the time i'm i i have very little free time <laughs> and so um i definitely don't have the time to put hours scouring every corner for the the secret hidden world i would much rather just look up how to find it um so I guess some of that frustration is gone for me because I just I have no problem with looking up. Oh, did I miss any major areas? Oh, this is how you get to that. Cool. Um, so maybe I would be a little more frustrated if I didn't do that. But ha- having done that, it it, it I, I feel yeah, it, it doesn't feel 
completely opaque to me how those games work. How um just talking about it from a, st- a story perspective, because uh, you mentioned that you didn't like Dark Souls three because it was a little slower. But how was it just like, playing that game without kind of any any of the previous stuff that came before it? Because Dark Souls three kind of relies heavily on some pre- foreknowledge of Dark Souls one and a little bit of Dark Souls two. But was it odd? Like, did you feel like that 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 aspect of the story really wasn't there, or did it not work for you because because you were missing that that history with the series? I mean, it was definitely. Uh, I was seriously less interested in the story of Dark Souls 3 than Bloodborne, but I don't know. I don't, again, I don't know how much of that is. I mean, I did like read summaries of the first two games, so I would understand the basic premise of what was happening. Um, and But I don't know how much is that, and I don't know how much is. I just, again, I just tend to bounce off of fantasy narratives. Yeah, um, I, yeah. really, I really have trouble staying interested in them. Um, I think... I think the last like traditional fantasy narrative that really sucked me in was like the, the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, sure. 15 years ago, <laughs> um, you know, Game of Thrones seemed interesting, but the moment there was dragons, I just lost all interest. Um, and so it's, it's really tough for me to stay focused on a game that is traditional fantasy, which in one sense, Dark Souls three isn't, or, or the whole Dark Souls series. It's kind of try, I think intentionally subvert, subverting traditional fantasy, but it uses enough of those elements that it's hard for me to be interested. Whereas Bloodborne, Bloodborne is playing exactly the, the things I'm interested in. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. The, set, the setting, the story. I will say, um, I'm not, despite what I do, I'm not a fan of Lovecraft. And so towards the end of the game, where when Bloodborne got more explicitly Lovecraftian, I, I actually started to lose interest in that as well. I was, I was way more interested when, when everything was a little more uh, abstract than when we started bringing in Elder Gods. But, it was still very much more up my alley. It's a uh, it's interesting because I'm not much of a um I, like when Bloodborne came out, I was a really huge Souls fan, and I you know you can't be on the internet and you know throughout most of your life and not know who Lovecraft is like that just doesn't exist. Um, so I knew who Lovecraft was and I was you know aware of the work, but had never really read any of the books or anything. And it's it's kind of odd going back to those because I was curious to read the source material um, after Bloodborne and see like, you know, oh, this the fishing village from the DLC is basically this entire book. Like that's what that's where this came from. Um, but not particularly liking it that much. Like I've talked about that on this podcast too, of just a lot of the stuff that people seem to really get out of uh, Lovecraft doesn't really click for me for some reason. And like the stuff I like of like in Bloodborne is just, I don't mind the Elder God stuff, but like the weird, once we get into uh, like weird aliens and kind of just the, the, the healing church versus this other place versus the other place. Like the, I'm more interested in the human reaction to, to all of that than I am like, Oh, there's this giant creature. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm getting my point across quite, quite well enough. No, I agree. I mean, it's, it's the thing about horror is the more it is explained, the less scary it is. And so Bloodborne is at its scariest in the first half of the game when everything is still, you're just getting little snatches of story and you're not understanding what's going on, but it's clear that something went horribly wrong here. And yeah, the moment it's like, oh, there's aliens and these alien gods and here's exactly the names of those alien gods and when they came and here's where they landed, um, that all becomes significantly both less interesting because the mystery disappears and also significantly less scary because uh a place where something unnamed and horrible has happened is way more scary than a place where aliens have landed <laughs> even if maybe they're not technically aliens if they're like alien like gods i think it's still 
basically the same thing. Yeah, functionally, it ends, ends up being the same thing to the person on the other side, I think, which is, oh, hey, there's this alien-looking creature over there, and now I know everything I need to know about this thing, so I, need to, I can just kind of check it off. Yeah. Um, that's something that, that kind of fascinates me with Bloodborne because uh, it is definitely very much a, a horror game. Like it, it you know, it's, it's, it shows you some horrific imagery and it, it wants you to be, I think, kind of scared. But a lot of horror games that I play, uh, you know, they depower the player in significant ways so that you're constantly running out of ammo or batteries for your flashlight or you have no weapons at all and you can only hide or, or what have you. Whereas Bloodborne is, is the opposite. You know, they, they want you to find these weapons. They want you to upgrade them. They want you to add numbers to your stats so that you get stronger throughout the game and then still try to keep up that horror thing. Do, do you think it succeeds at that very well, personally? Yeah, it, it, it's actually kind of empowering in this way, right? Because Bloodborne is a nightmarish game in a very literal way. Like, it is designed to feel like a nightmare. Everything about it is dreamlike in this horrifying way. So it feels as though you are playing through a nightmare. But your character is able to fight the nightmares and and as you get better be able to successfully fight the nightmares and so it's this thing of it's this empowering thing of being able to uh go through a nightmare but be able to successfully stand up to it and um i think that's a very interesting approach to horror uh it's not one that horror does very often uh, but i think bloodborne pulls it off somehow making it so that you are an equal match to the nightmares it kind of reminds me of, um, in a very, and kind of an obvious and a non-obvious sense of uh, the third Elm Street movie, Dream Warriors, which was always my favorite growing up because the uh, all the kids like it was it was almost like an Ocean's Eleven movie, not, not without the heist. Like they're all getting they're getting the old gang back together and they're they're taking on Freddy head on versus you know running scared for the entire time. So yeah, I mean, yeah, and especially when it's you doing it right, like it's a different experience watching someone fight monsters but when it's you doing it you get this personal journey of this thing is terrifying but oh now i'm i i know how to get past it now like i've learned it is no like i've overcome it somehow um i don't know if you've heard this um description before but my absolute favorite uh part of bloodborne is uh uh the witch's village um blanking on the name it's uh, Hem- Hemwick Charnel Lane Hemwick Charnel Lane I absolutely love that section I think it's so beautifully designed um and also what I love about it is that whole section basically feels like a direct sequel of Resident Evil 4 where you play the merchant that travels <laughs> like to me that is in a lot of ways the entire Bloodborne game feels like that of uh instead of being the slow moving cop who can barely fight off the monsters you're the like really well equipped equipped merchant who can move very quickly through the the world, um, which <laughs> really is a lot like more that. fun That's way great. of approaching it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. That, that, that I just really like that. I've never heard that before. And I, that's that's very enjoyable to me. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's it just it, that's definitely what I was feeling like playing that section, um, especially since, as I imagine, a lot of people did. That section feels very directly related to Resident Evil 4. The design feels very similar. Yeah, Bloodborne feels like it's kind of it's almost uh, not really a sequel because it's not the same thing, but it feels like kind of the after. Like, you know, like if Resident Evil 4, if, you know, all of the bad guys won and it was a thousand years later, like it feels like that's what that's where we're at with a lot of these stories. I mean, given that I haven't played 7, I've heard it's good, but given that Resident Evil wasn't really able to follow up for with anything people liked, 
it kind of feels like Bloodborne was probably the first game to actually follow it up in terms of quality. I uh, I haven't I haven't played a lot of Seven, but um, <clears throat> I had a chance to play with the PlayStation VR, and I I made my wife go through the kitchen demo. And it was just a, a series of her just screaming my name over and over again as if like, please take this thing <laughs> off of me. Please take this off of me now. Jeremy, 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 where are you? Uh, but I, I haven't played seven either. Uh, it's based in Louisiana and I, I, I'm from Louisiana. That's where I am right now. And uh, there's something about video game Cajun accents when they try to lean into it real hard that just I'm sure it's like that for anything, any kind of local place that has their own accent or, or own culture. They just if it's not quite if it's not 100 percent right, it might as well be 100 percent wrong. And it's just really aggravating to. So, yeah, I've been I've been hesitant to try to play Resident Evil 7. So I imagine uh, I mean, I, I, I what I've heard about seven is that they've once again completely changed up the formula, which was, I think, a smart thing. Like what made Resident Evil 4 good is it felt so completely new. And then what made people I mean, I never played five or six, but what I've the reviews overwhelmingly said is it just kind of felt like a tired attempt to recreate four and so seven doing something entirely different seems smart and i don't know the the reviews have generally been good i will probably get around to playing it yeah it's one of those things that you know i watched the speed run at agdq and uh you kind of you kind of feel like okay well i've played that game now that i've seen somebody do it in you know 45 minutes or whatever yeah which is always a weird way to experience games do you do you kind of seek out extra material like specifically about the souls games but uh, you mentioned like you had seen some some videos and some stories and you read some articles like are you traditionally do you do that with most games or, or do you just kind of play a game and then put it down and then move on uh it depends on the game something that sucks me in as much as bloodborne i'll go and seek out stuff especially something like bloodborne where the story is so not obvious you get this certain element of like what did happen there what 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 was going on um and and so it's super fascinating to watch people that have really devoted themselves to piecing out what happened there um and so yeah something like that or you know games yeah games that are difficult it is fun to watch someone who's good at it mm-hmm. you know watching a boss that you died at a hundred times and then watching someone you know defeat them with the starting weapon that hasn't been improved at all is it's fun to watch that um just you know the the same reason it's fun to watch anyone who's good at anything sure um yeah and then it's also uh you know uh dark souls is one of those games that it uh or that that whole series is one of those games where it's fun sometimes to watch blind playthroughs by people who aren't good at the game um you know because then then it's a little it's a different experience then it's getting to watch someone else go through what you went through where you're like constantly being surprised by the way that the game uh tricks you or ambushes you have you uh have you forced a bloodborne on someone else to just for an opportunity to watch them that seems to be something that uh, a lot of souls fans end up doing if like basically advocating for everybody and their and their local friend group to play the games yeah, I don't have that many friends that play games. I mean, uh, my wife doesn't play video games at all. Uh, my co-writer, Jeffrey, I, I convinced to to buy a Bloodborne. Uh, but I think at this point, he's completely given up on it. He's just, uh, up to that point, he pretty much only played uh, sports uh, mm-hmm. uh, video games. He was very into, like, you know, football and basketball stuff. Um, and so he just did not have the skill set to tackle the kind of thing Bloodborne asks of you. He uh, he has, has since played through all of Breath of the Wild and feels like maybe now, since Breath of the Wild's combat is a little bit uh, like Dark Souls Light, mm-hmm. he's kind of felt like maybe he can go back to it. Um, but yeah, he, he was not, he, I, as far as I know, he played it for like a month and was not even able to get to the first boss. Yeah. 
I've uh, there was I've interviewed some people on, on the podcast before that uh, don't actually play the games, but are really big into the aesthetic and you know take illustrations and you know run campaigns based on or, or what have you. And it's uh, it's been fascinating kind of watching them after the fact since they've gotten into it very much for the aesthetic and they love all of the story and the characters and they wanted to come back and then actually try to play it. And it's, it's actually a really difficult game. Like as much as the marketing leans into that in a, in a weird way that I don't, I don't particularly like, especially with the dark souls, not so much bloodborne. Um, it's actually, you kind of have to know how to play a video game in order to play it. Like be, being able to control the camera, lock on the enemies and move around is, is kind of necessary to do that. Yeah. And there's no, there's no ramp up, you know, I mean, there, there is a ramp up, but the, the, it starts extremely difficult and it starts expecting you to know how to play a game. Uh, there's no point where you slowly learn how to play it. Um, and so that's, that's fine if you are used to playing games and so have the basic setup of how to adjust a camera while fighting, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but if you don't already have that skill, I imagine that's a very difficult thing to jump into. So when you started the game, I kind of like to know about the kind of more detail stuff that you started playing like what was your what ended up being your favorite weapon or your first or your starting weapon did you kind of mix around did you mess around with a bunch of different weapons or did you find one and you just stuck to it uh yeah i mean i started with the axe and the axe i feel like is definitely the easiest one to start with especially since it has that spin thing that is um definitely i think the most powerful move you can have early in the game it's really uh it's really easy to to kind of knock back an entire group of people with that um and it's pretty easy to pull off so the the axe definitely felt i probably i'm not sure i probably looked up at a guide at like good weapons to start with yeah um because i just i do tend to consult guides pretty regularly i i prefer i prefer to since i don't have time to play games more than once usually um again because my video game time is pretty limited I usually will consult guides to try and get the best experience the first time through um, rather than rather than playing blind and then trying again with what I've learned. Yeah. Um, so I started with the axe uh, and because I started with the axe, I went pretty much entirely strength, which meant that I uh, towards the, uh, by around uh, the time I got it, which was the cathedral area. I, I I was 100 percent in on the Kirk hammer. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. There's just. <laughs> I tried some of the other weapons, and I, I did like the like buzzsaw one from the DLC. But there's just nothing more enjoyable than um, smashing monsters with the world's most ridiculously giant hammer. <laughs> I love the fact that that sword you can just stab it inside and just twist, and all of a sudden it's a hammer. Like that's one of my favorite things. Like the transformation stuff in, in Bloodborne is so incredibly detailed and so great. Like I just love every time I, I would just like hit the L one button all the time just to see it transform just on the way the, to a fight <laughs> yeah and the fact that i mean it's such a complicated complex fighting system this idea that like how it transforms depends on what you're doing while you transform it you know if you transform while swinging it it, it you can like do damage by transforming or it transforms differently if you're running like all that stuff makes it feel super it it it, it makes the the combat feel so much deeper than than video game combat usually is which just gives you you know it makes it more difficult because there's a lot more to remember but it also f- makes the playing field feel more even like you're facing these very difficult things but you have this huge tool set of things you can do back did you get a, a handle on parrying at all 
A what? A handle on parrying at all? Did you? Oh, parrying. Yeah, system? parrying. Uh, yeah, that's so that's an interesting thing. In Dark Souls three, I could never make that work. Mm-hmm. I eventually just gave up. Um, parrying in Bloodborne, I found pretty easy. Um, like it, especially you know, there were certain ones that you just had to know how to do that. And uh, for for whatever reason, I just found the timing in Bloodborne a lot easier to see. And Dark Souls three, I could just never ever get that timing right. Um, yeah, I liked I liked the pairing system. I really liked the whole the whole setup. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the transforming weapons. I enjoyed that you had this gun, but really it was only there to parry with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you you can make it be more, but I it, that seemed like more work than I was willing to bother with. Ha- having done it, it is extremely more work than anybody should bother bother with. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a lot of effort to make that make all that stuff work. So. Yeah, so I, I I just I liked. I think that's what disappointed me a bit with playing Dark Souls is I just was so attached to how Bloodborne did it that the differences in Dark Souls felt less like differences and more like steps backward. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because the parrying system kind of changes from game to game all the way going back all the way to Demon Souls. And so uh, in the in the community, you'll hear feedback like. Oh, I'll, I prefer Demon Souls parrying system because of this, or I like Dark Souls One because I'm invulnerable while I'm doing the repost or, or what have you. But uh, t- for me, there's nothing quite so satisfying as just you know shooting a dude like out of an attack run and then running up and then just jamming your your hand into their stomach. Like there's something extraordinarily, and I hate to use like the word visceral because it's actually known as a visceral attack. But at the same time, it's a very visceral feeling where you're, where you're doing all of this and you know doing a bunch of damage like that is is just very very satisfying. And it also relates to the whole feel of the thing, right? Like, Bloodborne constantly encourages you to be aggressive and be, like, moving and be attacking in this way that Dark Souls doesn't. And how it does parrying is part of that. You don't have a shield, so it just encourages you to stand without any defenses right up against somebody who's about to attack you until the last second. Um, and so it plays into this very, like, adrenaline field way of, of playing the game. Yeah, I wish I wish it would have worked a little bit better on some of the bigger bosses. Like that that aggressive playstyle uh, with you know the regain health system uh, works great. I think on smaller enemies, but the moment that you have a boss that grabs you up and then eats you for five minutes for ninety percent of your health and you can't really respond to that, I think that that's a kind of a frustrating. Th- that's one of the more frustrating things that I have uh, with Bloodborne. So you're you're saying that perhaps Dark Souls bosses are frustrating <laughs> for the most this incredibly obvious he- headline <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> but I don't know. Did you uh, did you have any any like weird issues like that where you were you were trying to do stuff that the game gave you tools for, but then feeling kind of not fr- maybe maybe not frustrated, but feeling like well the game is is almost cheating at its own rules at this point. Yeah, I mean. Definitely, especially in Dark Souls, I would say more than Bloodborne. Dark Souls Three just felt like a fundamentally more unfair game than Bloodborne. Um, but yeah, Bloodborne, I, I I would say that I couldn't get parry to work with most of the bosses because just how how you parry them is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that some of them, uh, uh, Father Gascoigne or whatever, uh, works pretty much the same, um, and like even the was it Blood Starved Beast. Uh, it's very difficult to get that timing to work, but the the system makes the same amount of sense. But a lot of them where it's like, you have to do a certain amount of damage to this part of their body, and that's what makes them parried. Um, I just never had the patience to figure that out. 
the uh, the the hunter fights, like the, the Father Gascoigne or you know German or even the the Orphan of Kaz in the DLC, uh, those are some of my favorite fights. I think because it feels more of a a one on one battle, like you know the, your Lady Maria's and, and things like that, where it feels. It's me and this other person, and not necessarily a giant, huge monster. Or the Orphan of Kaz obviously is a weird monster, but it still feels, uh, if not fair, then just you know, just like you're almost on even playing terms. I mean, I think there's a reason that two of the most, I think, widely considered memorable fights, and I would agree with this, in the whole game are Father Gascoigne and Lady Maria, um, because they're both you. You know, they yep. are both. They have exactly the same weapons and tool sets as you, um, and that makes it a lot harder um, when you're dealing with because because they still have to make the fight somewhat fair. The giant monsters are you know tend to be slower and have easier to see attacks. Um, but yeah, I mean it is I think a pretty well known rule and definitely my experience that the smaller the boss, the more difficult they are um, because they. They just can do everything you can do, except for they're not a human being. They're a computer, so they can just do it way more perfectly. So they can do it perfectly every single time, whereas you know you have to deal with people being in the room and somebody distracting you and things like that. Yeah. So you, you obviously played through the DLC as well. Uh, like I, I think pretty much everyone believes that that DLC is some of the, some of the best D- Bloodborne content out there. Um, and just you know those, those three huge levels that you go through are, are pretty incredible. Were you did you say did you play through all the way to the end? I did. Um, I quit about halfway through the fishing village. I will say this: I rarely finish games. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a thing with games where I get very into them, and then um, at a certain point, I'm just not into them. And a, again, it kind of depends on the level of story. You know, uh, if a game is very story focused, I will see it through to the end of the story. Um, but if it's more, you know, Bloodborne is story focused, but it's not in a linear fashion. There's not any real reason you need to get to the end of the DLC to feel like you've finished the story. Um, and so with a game like that, just kind of eventually I'll hit a point where I'm like, oh, I'm no longer, I, I feel like I've done it. I feel like I've done this game and I'm good. And then I'll just stop playing. Um, so I actually didn't, I actually just gave up on Dark Souls 3 uh, <clears throat> in the final boss battle. Um, I found it kind of annoying and frustrating and I realized, oh, I don't care if I finish this. So I just stopped playing. Um, and it was a similar thing with the, the DLC, uh, the fishing Hamlet is so difficult and in this very frustrating way that I reached this point where I'm like, oh, I'm not having fun. So I'm just going to stop. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at the, uh, the fishing Hamlet and then subsequently Dark Souls three and think like, okay, this is, this is from software leaning into their own marketing at this point of making things like so dramatically difficult and kind of um it's health spongy you know just having so much health that you constantly have to go through a 10 minute fight to kill a boss as opposed to you know like a three or four minute fight it's it can be kind of frustrating uh but yeah i don't think i don't think anybody's gonna throw shade at you for not for not finishing stuff like uh you know there's a lot of games that i'll I'll just pick up and play and be like yeah yeah this is I've, i know what this is now i don't and i don't need to do any more of it despite the fact that there may be you know 50 percent more content in there or what have you yeah i just i have this feeling that for me at least video games are for fun they're a thing i do you know to to unwind or take a break and so i'm never going to continue with a game if it's not fun for me the moment a game becomes frustrating or tedious i'm just out because there's there's too many games that could be fun that i'd rather do i don't know uh how much attention you pay to like the games you know twitter or games on the internet or what have you but uh man i wish like more people had that exact same thought of just games should be fun and when when they're not fun i can stop playing them 
because woof, man, it it feels like especially in this community with Souls, it you know everyone kind of groups up and hates on a certain game or a certain thing or whatever. But it feels like you know they're they're being held at gunpoint, being forced to play through Dark Souls two because you know from software released it, so now they have to do it. And I'm like, if it's not fun, just literally go find something else, man. Just do, go do anything. Like, the world is full of things to go do. You don't have to play Dark Souls two if it, if you if you hate it this much. Yeah, the whole I mean the whole compulsion some people have to 100% games um you know i'm i'm I, I feel sorry for them that seems like a really bad compulsion to have because even the best games aren't worth <clears throat> excuse me aren't worth 100 you know getting 100% like breath of the wild is maybe the best game ever made i would say and even still um I wouldn't recommend anyone try to find all 999 whatever of those seeds. Like that seems like a incredible waste of precious life. Well, and then um, and then you have stuff like the the prize for that is is literally Nintendo trolling you for having done that. It's giving you like a golden piece of shit. Like that was the that was the prize. That was the reward at the end of that progress. So the fact that like even they are telling you, yeah, please don't do this. You don't need to do this. Is is kind of funny to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, I'm playing Celeste right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've played Celeste at all. Not yet, no. Uh, it's very good. It's fun. I mean, it is, it's it's extremely, extremely difficult, but it's also very encouraging to the player. And it does this, this thing where um, you only, it saves at the start of every little room. So you basically, you basically only have to figure out how to get through that one little space of ultra difficult platforming and then you're through and it saves again um so it makes it makes the difficulty very bite-sized which is nice yeah um you never feel like shit i i I messed up so now i have to start over at the beginning of this 10 minute long thing um but uh they have these these collectible strawberries um that are they're always designed in this way that either they're like an extra platforming challenge like it just would be a lot more difficult to get to them or um sometimes they're a thing where they're designed so in order to get the strawberry you just would have to get through the room in a much more difficult way mm-hmm. um but the strawberries explicitly and the game tells you this at the start the strawberries do absolutely nothing you get zero for collecting uh, a single strawberry does not change the story <laughs> does not change the game they're just openly like the strawberries are there if you want have fun with them or don't they do nothing and I really enjoyed that because it makes this thing of like sometimes you feel up to the challenge and you're like, I'm going to figure out how to get that strawberry. It seems it seems a fun challenge to figure out how that even is supposed to work. And sometimes you're like, you, you try it a few times and you get frustrated and you're like, well, I'm just going to move on. I don't need it. Yeah, the the removal of there being a uh, true ending because you got 99 strawberries or whatever the number is would, would is, is something that I think is really nice in that game. Just not having that held over your head as if to say, like, well, if you're a true gamer, you can get our one true ending, which is, you know, four minutes more of CGI or, or whatever video game people do nowadays. But uh, just having it be like, yeah, this is an option and you can do it if you want to. Like, that seems to be... What, looking at all of the uh, the the way that they handle difficulty, like the things that you can turn on and off of that game, too, just is very appealing to me because... I like playing a lot of video games with my wife and my wife doesn't necessarily care about the difficulty. She just wants to have a good time. Right. So we should be able to adjust that to account for it. And I think. Yeah, I think Celeste does a lot of things that games should pay attention to, especially designers that want to create difficult games, which I think is becoming more and more of a popular thing. I don't know if Dark Souls started that popularity. I think it kind of did. Um, But definitely it feels like there's this new track of, games trying to outdo each other on difficulty and also just making their difficulty a selling point. Um, 
And what I like about Celeste is it is brutally difficult at times, but uh, again, it does it in this way where it feels fair because you're only having to take one challenge at a time. Um, and it's also just relentlessly encouraging. Um, and again, yeah, it gives you options to make it easier in very specific ways. Like there's not just an easy mode, there's ways you can just turn on and off specific things to make it easier. Um, and it's also, it just ties into the whole, the whole narrative of that game is about overcoming anxiety and depression. It's about mental illness. And so having this thing where the world is very difficult, but the game is constantly encouraging you and congratulating you for moving through it feels very related to what the game is about. Um, I'm curious. There's been a lot of debate going back and forth when, with the Souls games, is whether or not they need like an easy mode or what have you. And uh, all of them have like kind of a built-in easy mode, which is you can summon your friends and they can help you fight a boss or help you get to a level or whatever. But do you think it would be advantageous for From Software to look at having some of those difficulty options like Celeste does in order to you know cater to a wider market or cater to more people? I mean, it's such, I, it would definitely piss off the people that kind of have this, you know, focus on the difficulty. To me, the difficulty is not the point. The difficulty, what, what, the difficulty is just related to what really is important about it, which is it's very well designed. Everything is very perfectly balanced, um, and the difficulty is just one part of that puzzle. Um, I'm, I'm, as I said at the beginning, I'm just not interested in games that are difficult for the sake of being difficult. I have zero mm-hmm. interest in that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a good idea for them to look at Celeste and see some of the things they're doing, where like. You know, Celeste, uh, you, you probably know this, but just in case people don't know, you can, you can do options like you can slow down the game by however much you want, uh, if, if that helps you. Or you can, you know, you have like a, a double jump type thing, and you can add more double jumps if you want to your character to make it a little easier. So it's these very granular things that you can be like, I'm going to just add, I'm not going to go into a full easy mode, I'm just going to slow it down but like you know, 10% because I feel like that'll make it a little easier. Um, Making that a slider as opposed to a toggle, right? Like that, that feels, that, exactly. that feels way better. Yeah. And all these different, you know, it has a bunch of different options. So you don't have to do all of them. You can just be like, I'm just going to add a second double jump and that's all I'm going to do. Um, Cause that'll just make it a little easier to do the game. Um, yeah. I think it's worth looking at that, especially since, you know, that, yeah, they claim that it has this built in easy mode of getting your friends, but that that's, it, that's kind of assuming that you're playing the game while it's still active, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, I played Dark Souls 3, like, three years after it came out or whatever. Um, you know, I just played it this year. And so there's still some people online, but there's not as many. And most of the ones that are left are people who have been playing it for a long time and are just mostly still around to troll people. Yeah. And so <laughs> that that easy mode is kind of gone. I mean, it still exists. I, I definitely beat a few of the bosses in Dark Souls Three with the help of online people. There's still there's still people there who are helping people yeah, fight yeah. bosses, but it's just less. And and Dark Souls has always attracted a certain um, kind of person that actively wants to troll somebody's experience as well as try to help them out. Like it it, it seems to get the best of or the best and the worst of the community um, in that that respect. Like you'll have people who. You know, I'll hang out for four hours in front of this boss and help you know forty five people kill this boss because they're because it's a really hard boss versus the the guy who's like I'm gonna stay on this one p- part of the map and knock people whoever comes off this bridge. You know, I'm gonna knock them off this bridge and kill them <laughs> without them being able to do anything about it. So, I mean, it kind of feels intentional on From's part. Like it feels a bit like the trolls are part of the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, absolutely. Because yeah. because the game itself actively trolls you. 
you know, again, there is this thing where you will try stuff and it will punish you in this way where you can tell the game knew you were going to try that and had something in, 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 in place to punish you for it. That's, that's where the weird kind of sense of humor comes in a lot of times, I think. Uh, Dark Souls 2 is especially good about this, but you, you get to the point when you're playing Souls games. Uh, the, the moment in Dark Souls 3 I'm remembering of is there's an area right after um, the uh, Ithril area, like kind of the ice world or whatever, um, where you kind of walk into this place and like, there's this beautiful painting and there's this silver knight standing there looking at this painting. And then as you kind of walk up and kind of approach him from the back, like you, the game has kind of trained you to do with backstabs and whatever, a dude shoots you in the back, like does the same, like gets the drop on you just like you thought you were getting the drop on them. And like that, like I remember having that happen to me instead of getting mad, I just had to laugh like, yep, you got me, Dark Souls, you got me again. <laughs> I just knew you, you absolutely did the thing. So, But that, I mean, that's what I mean when I, when it, it feels like the game is taking care of you. The game mm-hmm. gave you an experience like it, it. I would much rather have that than like a giant open world in which there's very little to do. That doesn't feel like a game is taking care of me. That feels like a game wanted to have a giant map and then didn't know what to do with it. Uh, You know, it goes back to uh, Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. Like what makes Breath of the Wild feel revolutionary isn't isn't the fact that it has a giant game world, because that's so many games do. But it's the fact that you constantly feel taken care of. Every inch of that map feels handmade. And there's always you can't go five feet without finding something to do. Um, and, and that's what makes it really feel cool is when everywhere you go, you feel like the, the person making the game is taking care of you and has put something in place for you there. So we're uh, we're a few we're about a month and a half out from uh, the Dark Souls one remaster coming out. And then uh, the month after that, sometime we should get an, another announcement from from software about what they're going to be making next. Um, a lot of people think it's Bloodborne 2. A lot of people think it's, you know, Dark Souls 5 or 4 or whatever. Uh, but for your, like, if you looked at the studio, like, what, what would you want to see coming from them after after this after this E3? Um, yeah, I mean, I, Bloodborne 2 would certainly be exciting for me. I, I definitely love both the world and, and design of Bloodborne. I would be way less in, excited about a Dark Souls 4. Uh, just because I wasn't that into Dark Souls 3. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it'd also be cool for them to do something new. I think the thing, though, is the the design of the Souls games is so specific to what they do and so well thought out at this point that as much as I love people to do new things, I do hope they do something that is still based on that basic, you know, endurance, health, dodging, that all, all of that stuff, you know, It'd be interesting if they did that in an entirely new world um, or even an entirely new genre, you know, do a science fiction one or whatever. Yeah. Um, But I do think that they're really good at that. And so it'd be a little bit of a shame for them to abandon the system that they've, you know, I feel like with Bloodborne at least kind of perfected. Yeah, their their history is in some uh, like straight up first person dungeon crawlers. Like that's what they were making before Demon Souls came along. And uh, people are thinking that this, this is a return to that. And Man, I, I would like that, but I, I very much love the third-person combat that they've got now, and I'd hate to lose that in a new game. So I'm kind of right there with you. I just, I don't really want to say Bloodborne two because I don't, you know, it, you shouldn't be required to do sequels for the rest, you know, of your professional life. But man, I just want more combat like that. Like I just want more of that game. So yeah, because it's the thing of other, you know, definitely other game companies have started to copy that a bit. Like even uh, Legend of Zelda, as I said, has kind of bloodborne light combat um and definitely at least in the very have you played breath of the wild i have Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and definitely in the very beginning when you don't really have a weapon and you have no armor, it's actually really startlingly difficult for a Zelda game. Like it, it was this weird thing of like, when did Zelda become a Dark Souls game? Like, <laughs> uh, eventually, you know, pretty quickly you get equipment and it becomes a lot easier and feels more like a Zelda game. But yeah, so there's all these other companies that are kind of have definitely copied quite a bit of that system. But I just don't feel like anyone has a handle quite as much on how to perfect it as they do. Well, Joseph, thank you uh, very much for spending the time with me today, man. I, re- I really appreciate you uh, guesting on the podcast. I know all of my listeners are going to be really excited to get your get your Bloodborne and Dark Souls opinions. So uh, thank you very much for, for agreeing to do this. Yeah, so I have very few people in my life who I can talk to this uh, to about this game. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to just, I was excited to just be able to talk about it for an hour. Excellent. Uh, this is probably going to be a silly question, but where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so I make a podcast called Welcome to Night Vale. That is a fictional scripted uh, show about uh, community radio from a small desert town where every conspiracy theory is true. That's at welcometonightville.com. I also make a horror thriller called Alice is Dead, uh, aliceisdead.com. And I also make a conversational podcast about art and music and what it means to be a fan and what it means to be an artist called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, which is at that title.com. And all of those, I, I run an entire podcast network, so all of those shows can be found at nightvalepresents.com extremely great and uh i usually try to save this to the end but uh, i was a huge fan of night vale when it started coming out and uh as a as a guy that used to hang around something awful and, and the something off forms quite a bit like seeing that come out of something awful was like what the hell is going on this is amazing so <laughs> so thank yeah, you it's, again. it's been interesting seeing all the like so people i remember from something awful that you know 15 years ago who are now famous for different things yeah there's, there's definitely a lot of the internet kind of started there it feels like well, it was kind of the the only place on the internet that you could go with like and people would um without without getting the internet bullshit right like that's what that's what i was looking for is people like that weren't just uh doing the aol speak or, or what have you like people were kind of having fun with it and it was yeah it was weird but anyway that's a whole different podcast that's don't give up yep. goons, so um <laughs> As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com where you can find links to all of the social media, Patreons, and all of that good stuff. Uh, thank you, everybody, for writing iTunes reviews and everything like that. That's been really, really nice recently. And uh, remember, the most important thing is don't give up skeleton. Cool. Cool, I'm going to stop recording. Great. Uh, thanks so much, Jeremy. That was fun. That was a, that was-